It is an awesome thing, and yet there's one thing about hope. If you're hoping for something, that means you don't have it yet. And so hope is this waiting time, this anticipation, longing, expecting, hoping that something's... Sometimes hope is difficult. It can be wonderfully agonizing, hoping for something. It's great to have something to look forward to, but we have to wait And that could be a very good definition of the season of Advent. Looking forward to something amazing, and yet we have to wait. I've spent this um, this year, uh, last January I started uh, a a plan in Uversion. Maybe you're probably aware of that app on your devices, uh, the Bible and all sorts of... uh, uh, versions and, and even languages, I think, and all those, and, and they have all these reading plans. If you've not discovered that, uh, go to Bible.com or to uh, look up the Uversion app on your, uh, in the, uh, in the App Store or the Play Store and, uh, get that on your device quick. I, um, I, I signed on for a, uh, for a, a, a plan that was to read through the Old Testament in a year. So if I started in January, that means I've just got a few days left, right? I've been through the uh, almost the whole Old Testament. It's been a good experience uh, reconnecting with passages and stories that maybe I haven't done so much, read so much, uh, don't necessarily get into all the time. Uh, I mean, the Old Testament starts off with these uh, stories that we're all familiar with, uh, the pe- God's interaction with people. You got the creation story, and then we even looked at some of these characters uh, in our series as fallen heroes. You've got uh, Abraham and and, and Moses and Joseph and a bunch of other uh, uh, characters there. But then the last half of the Old Testament is, uh, is page after page of, um, of God's frustration and maybe even disappointment with, uh, with his people because they continue to disobey him. I mean, God proclaims his judgment and his punishment and uh, his destruction for his people and, and uh, uh, proclaiming that he's going to take them into exile. And, and, and yet those sermons through those prophets in the last half of the Old Testament are, uh, are, are they're, they're sermons of judgment, but they're also sprinkled with messages of God's love and his faithfulness and his promise uh, to those people that they would be restored again as a nation. Uh, and, and so the people of Israel were indeed taken into exile uh, by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and, and, uh, and that happened, and it was a dark time for them, and yet they were, just as God promised, they were restored again as a people, and they were brought back to the, 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 the land of Israel, and, uh, and yet it didn't take very long for those same uh, Hebrew people to rebel once again, just a, just a couple of generations after they had returned to Jerusalem, uh, the Israelites were breaking God's laws again. And so uh, we, we go through, uh, the, 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 you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and that just means some of those books are, are really long, and some of them not so much. Uh, it's not that some were more important than another, but uh, you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets, and they're all proclaiming all of this stuff, and, and then you come back down to the, to the final prophet, uh, Malachi, the Italian prophet, and uh, you have to say it like this, Malachi, because that's... I, I think it's Malachi, um, but uh, anyway, the, the, the last book in the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, and, um, and, and, and you come down to the last few verses of the book of Malachi, this prophet, uh, uh, Malachi chapter 4, and he says this in verse 5, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. 
He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with, to- with total destruction. Period. End quote. And we don't hear anything from God. The people of that day did not hear anything from God for 400 years. So you've got all the great stories of the Old Testament and all of that and the kings and the and, and then the prophets and, and you've got uh, exile and destruction and then restoration and then sin again and then God says, okay, I'm going to send you this prophet in the vein of Elijah. Uh, he's coming, but not yet. And then pff, silence. The end of the Old Testament. After that verse, uh, no more prophets. No oracles from God on high. We have to connect to, we have to catch the significance of of the anticipation. God's promised to send this prophet, but he's not here yet. And uh, I don't hear anything from God, and there's no other prophets talking to us. And and generation after generation, the Hebrew people are anticipating, is it going to be in my generation? Is it going to be this week? Is it going to be in my children's generation? And generation after generation after generation, 400 years of silence from God. God's promised to send this prophet, and so they're waiting, they're anticipating. And then God breaks the silence through an angelic messenger. We talked about it briefly up here with the kids. Uh, Zechariah is uh, is in the, the temple doing his priestly duties, and, and the angel Gabriel whoo, appears to him. And, uh, and Zechariah is, uh, is, is afraid. Zechariah is old. He has no children. Uh, he's, he's, uh, doing his, uh, burning incense and things in the temple. Uh, it's in Luke chapter one. If you want to read the story, Gabriel tells Zechariah he's going to be a father even in his old age. And, and he explains that, that this child was, who, who this child is going to be. You need to name him John. And, uh, and, and he's going to fulfill a very special purpose. And then Luke chapter one, verse 17 says this. Gabriel talking to Zechariah and he talking about John. This prophet, this, the, your son you're going to have, that he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord, paralleling the last words that God had spoke 400 years before. 400 years of silence, then God picks up right where he left off. He says, here's the prophet that I promised. It's happening now. The people had been waiting and hoping for what God would do next, and then it finally happened. He's going to send a messenger to prepare the way, a, a way of hope. Without going into all the details, uh, it took Zechariah a little time to realize that all this was 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 real. But but he and his wife Elizabeth got on board soon enough, and and John was born, and and the, the it's the John that maybe you've heard of, uh, John the Baptist. That's not his denominational affiliation. That all came later. It's not that he went to the first Baptist. Anyway, we won't get into that. John the Baptist. Now, John was a bit odd. Um, I mean, you know how preacher's kids are, so that's kind of expected, I guess. But sorry, preacher's kids that are present. Present company excluded, of course. John was a bit odd. The gospel writers tell us that he wore weird clothes made out of camel's hair with a little belt. Uh, he had a weird diet. He ate locusts and wild honey. Uh, if that wasn't enough, he didn't live in town, but instead he kind of camped out in the wilderness. And that's kind of where, oh, that's that crazy guy out there. Uh, I mean, there's a redneck joke in there somewhere. I, you might be a redneck if you have more camel's hair on your coat than on your camel. I don't know. That's my... That's my 
weak attempt, but uh, you'll, you'll, you can share more with me as, as they come to you. But despite all his oddities, John was, uh, was God's next prophet. He is the prophet, 400 years, waiting, hoping, longing, anticipating, and then there's John, and he's sent to prepare the way of hope, the way for Jesus. And we read it in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, uh, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness." He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth and all people will see God's salvation." I think it's significant to note that, uh, that, that Luke names seven different men at the beginning of this passage in verses 1 and 2, uh, including a Roman emperor, uh, a governor, uh, three regional rulers, he calls them tetrarchs, and then two Jewish high priests. But then it says the word of God didn't come to any of them. The word of God came to the redneck guy who ate bugs in the wilderness, okay? It, it, it's a little odd, <laughs> Today, we don't recognize the names on that list. Maybe we do a little bit. We, we've uh, heard of uh, some of those folks before, but uh, these were the, 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 the movers and shakers. These are the folks that were in charge at that time. Everybody would have known who Caesar was at that time. Everybody would have known who these, uh, these regional rulers were and the governors and, and even the high priests. Everyone would have known them, yet 2,000 years later, as we're looking through this story, the, the person we know the most about is a quirky prophet, John who simply followed God's will for his life and prepared the way for Jesus. I, uh, I read a story about a, a little girl named Jana who, uh, who came home from her, uh, her, her school. She went to a Christian school and, and uh, middle elementary age, and she came home from school one day bursting with excitement because they had just passed out the parts for the annual Christmas play at school. And she was so excited about her role, but she wanted to surprise her mother, so she refused to tell her mother what her part was. She just said, it's, uh, it's going to be awesome, come to the play and you'll see. And so uh, for, for, for a couple of uh, weeks, she buzzed around, and, and it was hard, but she kept that secret. And on the night of the performance, uh, all the parents gathered in the auditorium there, and, and soon the children began to take their places, and Jana's mom could see the shepherds fidgeting in one corner of the stage with, with their father's bathrobes on and uh, some stuffed sheep. And then you had Mary and Joseph, and they kind of stepped up to center stage uh, in front of the, the, the manger there, and... And uh, there were three young wise men uh, off to the side waiting impatiently. And, and her mom had even seen some, uh, some angels with, uh, with tinsel halos hanging out in the, in the hallway beforehand. But she hadn't found Jana anywhere. The teacher began. She was narrating the story. And, uh, a long time ago, Mary and Joseph had a baby and they named him Jesus. And when Jesus was born, a bright star appeared. And on cue, Jana came out from backstage carrying this large tinfoil star, almost bigger than her. 
And she walked up behind Mary and Joseph and she held the star high for everyone to see. And the teacher told about the angels and the shepherds and and when they came to find the baby, Jana jiggled the star a little bit uh, and and jumped even a little bit so so they could maybe know where to come. And and then then it was the wise men's turn and and Jana actually went over and and kind of met them and and, uh, and then led the way, skipping and smiling and jumping and and pointing the star, bringing that star and their smile was brighter than, than all... (laughs) A real star almost. Uh, it was a it was a great Christmas play, and afterward, uh, Jana found her mom and came running up, and she said, "I had the main part." And uh, and, and her mom said, "You did. Uh, tell me about that." And she said, "I had the main part because I showed everybody how to find Jesus." And I wonder. I don't know. We're probably not going to change any anything in our. Christmas play or uh, in our manger scenes, but maybe we should be looking at the Christmas story a little differently. Maybe John the Baptist has the main part or one of the main parts because his job specifically was to show people how to find Jesus. Uh, In the scripture, it says he was to prepare the way for the Lord. John made a way for Jesus. He brought have you seen the commercials for uh, for Domino's recently? Domino's Pizza. I don't know if you go ahead to that next uh, picture there. I, I, they've kind of moved. I don't know how I feel about a a pizza place getting into the road construction business and how that relates to the quality of the food. But it's supposed to be better. See, see, they they say that uh, between the pizza shop and your house, uh, there tend to be some potholes. And Domino's says that uh, if you tell them about those potholes. Let's see, you're supposed to go to pavingforpizza.com, and uh, if you go there, that they will send out a crew, there they are, they're paving for for pizza, and uh, I guess they even spray paint it with a little domino sign, and they get you to, uh, it gets your pizza, if you go on, and of course in in research this week, I did go to pavingforpizza.com, have to really, I mean... The depth of the research that goes into, okay. Uh, anyway, there, there's a little video on there, and, uh, and, and it shows, there's a gauge uh, uh, if, the, if the road is smooth versus uh, a little bumpy, versus, and it's, it's actually a video inside the pizza box, and it's showing it, jumping around, and when, the, the, when it's really, really bad... I mean, that, it, you just might as well just go get a whole other pizza. I mean, it's just awful. So, so uh, they, they want to fix the roads to make it smooth so that you can get your pizza, a high-quality pizza, delivered to your doorstep. Seems a little weird for pizza, I think. But, but it is a lot like what, uh, what they used to do back in the day, back in John's day, uh, the, the, what they used to do for kings and for royalty. Uh, they, they actually, if, if, if a king wanted to travel from town to town, uh, the, the roads weren't exactly reliable. I mean, they didn't even have anything paved. So, uh, so the, it, it, was, it was not a smooth, well-maintained situation. So, so they would actually hire workers to go out in front of the king's entourage in order to clear away debris, smooth out the road, make the way, the path, the road easier for the king. They were preparing the way for the king. I believe that we have royalty, it's got to be, got to be true, that royalty is coming to Medina because of all the construction we have seen over the last uh, year or 20 years, anyway. 
Isaiah proclaims this. It's in Isaiah uh, uh, chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, uh, quoted here in Luke chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Uh, Isaiah's proclaiming this with a flourish, uh, with artistic flair. He's painting the picture of, of mountains being flattened and valleys being filled in and crooked roads being straight and, and rough patches, patches smoothed out. I mean, it's, it's this artistic, flamboyant, over-the-top language all talking about that this prophet who turned out to be John the Baptist, that, that John was going to smooth the way to prepare the way for Jesus coming. Uh, he was proclaiming a way of hope. There were, there were no doubt people hearing John in those days whose hope uh, was more in the political structures than in anything else. Luke mentions some of those people that were part of that Structure. I mean, the Romans were in charge. Tiberius Caesar is in Rome. He's, he's uh, in charge of everything. Pontius Pilate that we'll hear about uh, uh, later through, through Jesus' uh, uh, crucifixion. Uh, he's, he's the governor of the area. He's, he, represents the, he is the representation of the Roman Empire in Judea at that time. Uh, the, the Romans promised to bring order and prosperity and, and, and regional rulers or, or the kings the, uh, the, like Herod and, and Philip and Lysanias. They were, they were helping to translate the Roman way of life to the, uh, the Jewish culture. And so they were part of that government establishment as well. Uh, some people had their hope in, in the government and what the government could do. And, and, and if they could just get on board with that, uh, they, th- life was going to be better. Other people had their, their hope at the time in the, in the religious structures of the day. I mean, Luke mentions uh, uh, Annas and Caiaphas, the, the two high priests at the time. All good Jewish folks would have been following the rules of their religion in order to please God and to to have hope for a better tomorrow. They were going to follow all those religious customs, and that was where their hope was in a in a great life, both now and uh, in the afterlife. But political leaders are not intended to be gods, and lasting hope doesn't lie in religion. Those things can do some temporary good in society, but ultimately our hope cannot rest in simply those things. The kingdom John was proclaiming was the kingdom of God. It was a kingdom where all will be made right, a kingdom where eternal redemption is coming. So our real and lasting hope is not in any earthly thing or any earthly structure, government or religious or anything else, but it, our earthly, our, our eternal lasting hope is in the coming of Jesus. John proclaimed it. It's the way of hope. It's the way of Jesus. John made it easier for people to find Jesus. I think we have to ask the question uh, of ourselves, am I making a way for the hope of Jesus through my life? Maybe a different way to say it, does your life make it easier for people to find their way to Jesus? Are people uh, finding their way to Jesus through your influence? Uh, What did you do this week? to prepare the way for the Lord? What are you planning to do today, tomorrow, next week uh, in order to bring the hope of Christ to the people and the, and the world around you? I, we should be imitating John the Baptist. I'm not saying we should eat bugs and, and, and live in the, in the wilderness, uh, but our lives should be constantly, consciously pointing to the way of hope. Make it easy for people to find their way to Jesus. Prepare the way for the Lord. 
At times, I think we've gotten this wrong. I, I think at times, uh, Jesus followers sometimes put up roadblocks and obstacles instead of making a smooth and easy path. I think sometimes we criticize or judge. Sometimes we expect people to jump through spiritual hoops before we, they get the church's seal of approval. We point fingers. Maybe we have unrealistic expectations. Instead of putting up roadblocks, John's example is that we make a smooth and easy way for God's grace and love to flow to those who are in such need of it. Around here we say it this way, we live to love people to life. We don't live to put up roadblocks and expectations to make people jump through hoops in order for them to maybe grasp a hold of a little bit of Jesus. (laughs) We love people to life. We, we want to make it attractive. <laughs> There's nothing more attractive than a life filled with the love of Jesus. If, if we follow that thought through, though, and we look at John the Baptist, and, and if you read a little further in that passage, you'll see that John, I was a little bit counterintuitive, uh, John, John uh, with his rough and outlandish appearance, with, uh, with honey on his chin and a locust leg sticking out of his teeth is 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 his main message was repent right uh, he, it says that he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so he didn't pull any punches i mean he's calling sin sin and he's telling people that they had to repent it doesn't necessarily sound like paving a smooth road uh, oh yes we did uh, he's saying repent but the crowds were drawn to him for that. It, it says that the crowds were all around there, and it, it shows a lot of different types of people that were all drawn to, to, to John. He's out in the will. He didn't build a big cathedral. He didn't build a big church. He didn't make it all. But, but he's, they're drawn to him because of this message. It sounds like a pretty in-your-face accusatory message. Repent. What does it mean to repent? Well, it's, it's simply uh, the picture of making a U-turn, turning around. Uh, if you read the uh, devotional book, uh, the, the Advent devotional book, I believe it t- goes in, it talks about it, uh, uh, even in the reading for today. Uh, turning around, changing directions, making a 180 degree turn. Uh, I was heading towards sin, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn around and now I'm heading toward Jesus. Repenting involves seeing that the road I'm on isn't going anywhere good. And so I want to get on the road that leads to life. I want to get on the way of hope. I've heard it said that, that although it may not seem like it on the surface, repent is one of the most beautiful words in our language. It pays us quite a compliment because it says that we can do something about the road we have taken. If we were nothing more than animals, we would have to go the way our instincts demand, but human beings can repent. If our road is crooked, it can be straight. If, if we're on the wrong track, we can turn around or catch another train. Uh, we don't have to continue down the same destructive road of sin that we're on. We can repent and we can start again. Repentance is such a beautiful thing because it leads to forgiveness. It says there that John preached a baptism of repentance. Why? For the forgiveness of sin. So this isn't a in-your-face, you're a sinner and I'm judging you. This is, oh man, (laughs) there is forgiveness (laughs) if you repent. It it, it, uh, draws us 
to God's love and forgiveness. So, so John confronts the people, the crowd, the tax collectors, the Roman soldiers. Even, even later, he confronted uh, King Herod and, and Philip, not to hurt them, not to judge them, but simply because he knew that God loved them and he knew that the road that they were on was not headed anywhere good. And so he said, you're heading down the wrong road. <laughs> But there is hope. You can turn around. It's not too late. You can be forgiven. Why? Jesus is coming. It's John's message. It should be our message. Not only that Jesus came, that was the first step, the first part. That's what John was proclaiming. Uh, Jesus was there, and, and very soon after this passage, we, uh, we, we see that, that Jesus arrives on the scene, and John baptizes him and, and uh, begins his earthly ministry. Uh, but, but we also have the message, the added message that Je- Jesus not only came, but he's coming again. And there is hope. And yes, there is judgment. Uh, and, and there is, uh, there is, uh, uh sin is a problem and, and there are consequences to it. But, but we don't proclaim the message of repentance because we want to judge people, but we say, man, there's a better way. And God brings forgiveness. Advent might be a uh, a season when the when the road curves a little bit more than usual making the crooked straight the rough places uh, distractions are everywhere we we heard it a little bit in that in that video during the offering of all the different stuff that seems to fill our fill our plate during during the advent season thing all those things can cause us to lose sight of Jesus to lose sight of the hope of the world we talked a little bit about grief this morning. Grief can derail us, and 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 uh, uh, as we try to celebrate Christ, we uh, we we get derailed with with uh, with the thoughts of of those we've lost. Anxiety and stress are are high as we try not to miss anything and make sure that everything is just right. We're, we're tempted to to buy too much, to eat too much, to, to to focus on the wrong things, and it derails us from truly celebrating Jesus, the hope of the world. I mean, even all of the, all the good things, uh, like family and, and celebrations and, and traditions, all those things are, are great, but they can, if we're not careful, they can get our eyes off the true hope of Christ. The way can get curvy and bumpy, and we can lose sight of Jesus. After 400 years of silence, God's message through a rough-around-the-edges prophet named John, was that there is hope, and his name is Jesus. So this Advent season, I think uh, a couple of things. First thing is that you and I need to experience the hope of Jesus for ourselves. Uh, what, what does that involve? Well, we need to get rid of those distractions, or, or at least make sure that those things don't derail us from the, the real meaning and purpose of, uh, of what this Advent season is all about. We need to not put our hope in earthly answers, whether that's uh, political or, or religious or anything else. Our, our hope is in Christ and Christ alone, and it might mean that we need to repent and turn to Jesus, a repentance that leads to forgiveness. We need to experience that hope for ourselves. And I think the other thing that we have to do is that we need to be a way of hope for those around us. We need to make it easier for people to find their way to Jesus. Lord God, thank you for this season of hope. I pray that we can experience the thrill of hope. I pray that, that, that as we uh, become and proclaim the way of hope, 
that we make it easier for others to find you this season. Lord, I pray that you'll open our, our eyes and, and, and our, hear, our hearts and, and, uh, and, and the, uh, uh, our, our spirit to where you're leading and guiding, that we can represent you well. I pray, Lord, if there are things that you're pointing out in our lives where we need to repent, I pray that we wouldn't put that off, but that that could happen even right now in this very moment, that, that we tell you that we're sorry and we don't want to follow that road anymore, but that we want to turn around and follow you. Lord, I pray that as we celebrate you, that it wouldn't just be that, that the food was great and the conversation was awesome and we got to reconnect with folks who we didn't. All those things are great, but Lord, I pray that truly <laughs> that, that, that heaven and, and earth would sing because the hope of the world has come and the hope of the world is coming again. May your hope be in our hearts and on our lips this season. In Jesus' name we pray.